This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The young shining cuckoo is fed by its foster parents on insects and spiders. But the korimako, or bellbird, has a much more interesting diet of nectar. It's been something of a radio personality and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Today we're going to actually talk about Quakers and Quakerism, whatever that is. <laughs> we'll be talking with Murray Short, a former clerk of Aotearoa New Zealand Friends Nationwide, and Ashley Malcolm, clerk of Young Friends Quakers New Zealand. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community or Chaos. This will be on podcast at the end of the week or the beginning of next week, and you can podcast anything we've done for the last uh, six months or so. Murray, very briefly, could you tell us how did Quakers get established or the story of the Society of Friends early yeah, on. Yeah, well, yeah. good morning, Marvin, and Ashley, nice to uh, be with you for this conversation. Um, yeah, so uh, Quakerism emerged uh, during what's called the English Revolution in the um, 17th century uh, England. It was a time of uh, foment, really. Uh, one of the books written about our history describes it as a world turned upside down, because if you recall, uh, it was the time when uh, Parliament was beginning to exert uh, more authority over the um, the king, and in fact, uh, the king was removed for a period by Cromwell and so on. And, um, and also, the printing press had made a huge difference to the flow of information and uh, and there were thousands of pamphlets uh, on religious topics being published and so on so there's a real sense of of freedom uh, from the monarchy and from controls uh, church and state were one and and so control of both was very powerful um, so in the midst of this a young fellow called George Fox who was very disillusioned with the um, the state church or the churches generally, the Protestant churches as well, 
um, things like the extremes of uh, indulgences and um, and the way in which the authority of the church was being exercised and so on. What's an and, indulgence, out of curiosity? Uh, indulgences were the, the, the process that, that was common amongst churches in that time of basically purchasing a ticket to heaven. Uh, so if you give to the church, you could um, be guaranteed a, a safe passage to heaven. And that's uh, what Martin that, Luther was about, isn't it? Partly? Yeah, yes, uh, yeah. But but it was pretty common, um, pretty common across the churches at the time. Um, it, it it just uh, it was another control mechanism, basically. Um, and uh, that and many other things, George Fox was most dissatisfied. He found the preaching um, unhelpful, and uh, and he wandered the English countryside um, mm. looking for alternatives. And um, he had a mystical experience, didn't he? That helped. Yeah. Then he had this. That's right. He was sitting on his own and had this experience, uh, and he describes it uh, as um, hearing the voice uh, of Jesus, basically, and and it spoke to his condition, and this led to a revelation that he didn't need to rely on the authority of the church and the clergy and even scripture that he could have this direct experience of the spirit of, of Jesus of God and uh, and that led to um, a very radical um, uh, movement uh, that attracted uh, widespread support for a long time and of course was a very very strong threat to the church and state because it uh, it challenged everything that they stood for um, and uh, and that was led to the birth of Quakerism and as I say for a while um, it looked as though Quakerism was going to become you know uh, the, the most common religion in England um, but the authorities then uh, 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 repressed the movement uh, during the time of persecution. A lot of Quakers ended up in prison, and I ended uh, up uh, mm. over a third of them spent time in prison. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, and you can understand why, because it was a challenge to the social order. It was a challenge to the religious order. It was a challenge to the state order. I mean, it was a the whole notion of Quakerism was was a, a very radical challenge to the foundations of the society. What were some of the differences? For instance, well, the fundamental difference was that uh, because of this concept of each individual having direct access to, to God, um, there was no need for a, a paid ministry. And in fact, um, uh, whilst there were some Quakers who were regarded as ministers, they weren't paid and anybody could pick up that uh, that role. Uh, and so it tossed the clergy out. Um, and uh, I think that was one of the fundamental differences. But the whole notion that, uh, that scripture and creed and church were secondary as authorities uh, is, has been the foundation of Quakerism. And so George Fox talked about that of God and everyone uh, that gave them direct experience, direct access to the truth. Um, yeah. Anyone could give ministry, including women, which was rare in those days, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. Um, it's a bit of a mixed picture because uh, in other respects, uh, we reflected the culture of the time, which was pretty patriarchal and so on. But um, but in fundamental things like that, yes, women gave ministry and uh, and that was unusual. But and for they example, traveled in the ministry too. Yes, women traveled in the ministry. And in fact, uh, it, it was a woman who was responsible for 
really the organizational um, work that that enabled the the the, the movement to um, to thrive. Uh, Fox was the visionary, uh, but it was a woman who was the um, the organizational expert, as it were. Because of their experience of the Civil War and so on, even though many Quakers had been involved in the Protestant army, they moved toward pacifism, didn't they, generally? Yeah, yes, quite early on. And there's quite a lot of evidence that that was primarily uh, to reassure the state that they were not committed to violent overthrow. Mm. And so from quite an early stage, they were assuring the king that uh, that whilst they had radical views, they were not mm. going to pursue them in a violent manner. A and lot, yeah, a lot of the levelers and diggers, people who were really going for more equality and the right to vote, at least for all males at that time, which was very radical, even though it wasn't as complete as it should have been. Yeah, that's uh, right. They later became Quakers, I think. You're, yeah, some of them, some of them, but, um, yeah, I mean, there was a, that's part of the foment. There were numerous groups, the Grindletonians, the diggers, the levelers, the, and so on, and, and some of them were, were not as committed to peaceful means. So uh, that's one of the reasons why Quakers uh, were, were careful to distinguish themselves from that, yeah. How did Quakers get established in Aotearoa? Well, um, interestingly, uh, Sidney Parkinson, who was the botanical um, illustrator on um, Cook's Endeavour, so that's in the 18th century, in the 1700s, uh, he was a Quaker. But the earliest uh, settlers were Nelson in the 1840s. Um, three of them were working for the New Zealand Company, including an ancestor of mine, I might say, one John Sylvanus Cotterell, who uh, unfortunately got uh, caught up in the Wairo incident and was killed by uh, Te Rauparaha and, and an ope there. Um, uh, but he, he had bought a place in Nelson, and when he was killed, the Quakers purchased the property and that became the first meeting house uh, in in um, uh, in Nelson and then uh, progressively other meeting houses emerged in the in the late 18 uh, 19th century 1890s right through to well for, for example the Dunedin meeting house was established in 1951 so right through to the 50s and that reflected the Establishment of Quaker communities uh, right through the uh, right through the country. All right, Ashley, um, you weren't raised as a Quaker, were you? No. How, how, and why did you become a, a friend or a Quaker? Um, we're formally and commonly, we're also called the Religious Society of Friends or Friends, as well as Quakers. But anyway, how did you become a friend or Quaker? Um, there's a few factors to it. I grew up in Perth in Western Australia, where my immediate family still is, and I was a member there of a very theologically progressive and social justicely minded church that was formerly affiliated with the Uniting Church over in Australia, um, but which never had a fixed minister and which always people you know took different turn sort of preaching and it was it was and is still a very special place but when I was moving to New Zealand I was starting to think well what um 
what sort of religious community do I want? I really want something like Wembley Downs, which is where I grew up, and I felt that they were quite hard to find. Um, but my, I'd known about Quakers because my mum had worshipped as a Quaker when she lived in the UK. So I knew that they were about, and I knew a bit about the silent worship, which appealed. And I'd also just seen the Quakers at all of the social justice things that were happening in Perth. If there was a refugee rights protest, Quakers were there. If there was an environmental um, protest, or um, Quakers were there. If there was if peace movement things, Quakers were there. And it really appealed to me how much they were out in the community and actively living out their values. So I arrived in New Zealand and showed up at Mount Eden um, Friends in Auckland. All right. Ashley and Murray, did we learn anything about society, both the Society of Friends and society at large, the society in Aotearoa, besides Zooming from COVID-19 lockdown? <laughs> You want to start, Ashley? Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, COVID-19 lockdown was such an unusual time, and I think one of the main things that it highlighted was how important relationships are. Um, I think it's probably the key thing people missed during lockdown, but even with the existing situation with travel restrictions. Um, And whilst Zoom... I think can to a certain extent maintain relationships it's really difficult to build relationships that way um, which we noticed in trying to support the junior young friends who are younger teenage Quakers those that knew each other um, could sort of have relationships whereas it was very difficult for ones that hadn't met one another or there weren't many other young Quakers in their in their town so that's what it's mostly reinforced for me is how important relationship is Murray well um, Marvin the the COVID experience for me internationally has been an absolute revelation or if you like it's confirmed all my prejudices uh, in the sense that in that um, the countries that have have really struggled with it are the countries where Mm. the cult of the individual is predominant uh, and so if you look at America and South America and so on um, and and uh, the UK um, the, the cult of the individual uh, with these populist um, leaders and what COVID has highlighted is that in this tension between individual and community we need a, a major reset um, where the cult of the individual predominates, uh, it's very difficult to achieve any sense of public health, uh, public good. Um, and at the moment, in my view, our social and economic settings have pushed very strongly toward that individual focus. What COVID has highlighted is that we need that rebalance that the ability to work collectively and as a community is critical for our survival. Now, it's been illustrated very clearly with COVID, but the bigger and uh, present danger of the climate crisis just highlights it even more, that at the very time where we need to be uh, you know, acting collectively as a community more, 
in order to to um, you know, reduce the risk of, of total um, obliteration by the climate, um, we, we uh, we're still very wedded to the whole individualist individualistic notion and that's going to be a real problem for us and COVID has highlighted it. I'd have to agree with you about that, particularly about the need for the community and society principally through democratic means to reassert itself to deal with climate change and inequality. I had an experience my wife wife and I are older than you you two (laughs) And also, um, there are other health needs. And during COVID lockdown four, we have we live in a cul-de-sac, and our neighbors did voluntarily, without being asked, did all our shopping for us for for about a month. And I thought that was amazing. Um, and I was able to do the radio show through Zoom, but that that was good. But the, for the way the neighbors acted toward each other. In this cul-de-sac, and one of the neighbors had a a partner who she died of cancer. She'd been in a hospice down the road. She'd had cancer, and the neighbor asked us all to come out in the street in the cul-de-sac and have it be a fairly sunny day. And we all got in the middle of the street, kept our distances, but shared um, because of her loss. And so. That month will always be an amazing thing for me in many ways. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it, Marvin? That um, it illustrates that Quaker view again that there is that of God in each of us that we have the capacity to work collectively and to care for one another and so on. The promptings of love and truth is a Quaker um, saying. Um, and in my view, the Quaker project and the religious project generally has been about encouraging the, that positive side because we all know we've also got the capacity for evil, for sin, for bad, you know, uh, and it's all about encouraging that. And and COVID, and often in crises, you see that good side coming out. But then there's the counter side, the strong individualistic push, you know, people resenting having to wear masks. I, I find masks a real nuisance, you know, in, oh, in yes. transport of them. The, 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 my glasses all steam up inside and goodness, I'd much rather not do it. But um, you do it, you, you compromise your own individual rights and freedoms in order to care for others. Simple as that, you know, uh, but some people aren't prepared to. Uh, and yeah. and I, that's a problem. I have noticed on the buses that we're not seeing as much masks mm-hmm. as we were. It's not as uniform as it once. At a, a month or so ago, almost everybody was wearing masks on buses, and now it's not so, not quite as uniform in Dineen as it was a couple of months ago. And yeah, I think that's just COVID fatigue, probably, yeah. Marvin, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. You know, there's other factors coming into play. The other thing I might mention, uh, going back to the early Quaker idea of direct experience, we really struggled, Quakers did, from the earliest days, with this tension between individual and community. Because if you think about it, uh, this idea that each individual can have a direct experience of God and therefore the truth, 
it's potentially totally anarchic, and it was early on in the in the movement. So that we had early Quakers doing some very strange things. There was a guy called uh, James Naylor who allowed himself to be led on a horse into Bristol um, with his followers um, chanting, um, you know, religious messages. Um, in an obvious, you know, depiction of the yeah. Christ going into mm. Jerusalem, and, and he was advised by other Quakers that this was unwise and not to do it. But he said, "I have heard the voice of of God. I know this is the truth for me." You see, well, you know, potentially that's totally anarchic, and that's where we started at that very, very strongly individual end. But progressively, for the survival of the of the community, it became necessary to introduce the idea of community discernment and community de decision making. Uh, and so that tension in Quakerism has always been there and still is, as in wider society. When, yeah, when we make our decisions, we're supposed to make them as a community. We're supposed to listen to every person in that meeting, but also listen to the spirit or voice of the divine. Uh, and that's a, mm -hmm. it's a interesting balance and sometimes a frustrating balance. Yes. I think part of the balance is that there's two radical components of Quakerism, one being that there's that of God in everyone and therefore every individual can have a direct relationship with God, not mediated by... Um, priests or ministers and the other part is that there's that of God in everyone else too um, and recognising that it's not saying that it's not centering the individual experience and saying that I'm the only one that's got the relationship with God because that's essentially to position yourself as the minister as the priest mediating other people but to recognise that everyone has that relationship with God well, actually, I was going to place a couple of poems, um, musical poems, later on. But I think I'm going to play them now because that's where we are. A Christmas Fable When shopping in Harvard Square, watch your step, have a care. Your feet Quaker meeting Present in meeting Whole, holy present, here in meeting, present to thy light, held in the arm of thy love. Know that self which is both thine and mine, present to that self which demands nothing, desires to possess nothing, present in thy presence. My speech stammers softly, it hides, it breaks. Thy speech is clear, it is gathered and gathers. In meeting, I am gathered in your arms, in your womb. The universe. The universe feels cold. The universe appears dark, a bleak hole. The universe deceives. The universe throbs with energy. From the beginning, fire, heat, warmth flows out from that still point. Husbander, sower, sowing star stuff, life stuff, out beyond, beyond. Purpose or throw of the dice, life, life flowing out, out in abundance. To know the heart of God, the 
of the universe. Feel, feel fellow pain, fellow grief. Feel joy, joy in abundance. Know, know that love which restores the universe. Those were a couple of poems that were I wrote um, after experiences in meeting for worship. I usually don't play things that I've done, <laughs> but I thought it might fit. Now, I guess one of the senses of the way we some Quakers sometimes deal with individuals is trying to find a gatheredness in the spirit either a meeting for worship or a meeting for worship in businesses. Would that be uh, one of the, what sometimes happens and what we should be prepared for, perhaps? Ashley? So, so could you rephrase the question? <laughs> okay. Is part of... Meeting for business and meeting for worship about not only our individual worship but the gathered mm-hmm. worship. Yeah, as I, a as a community. I think that's the core of it. I think if you only cared for your individual worship, you wouldn't participate in community. You'd go off somewhere else on your own and just experience God quietly there. And I think there's an important place for that, but. The, the role of coming to a meeting for worship or of other gatherings of worship is to to experience spirituality in community, which feels like an equally important form of spirituality that is, I think, often overlooked, particularly in the West, because we already value the individual and therefore the idea of individual spirituality um, fits comfortably but we there struggles more with community and so the idea of spirituality and community I think is is harder for people to, to grasp and also perhaps harder to explain without experiencing it Murray did you have anything you wanted to add to the uh, yeah I mean I think Ashley's absolutely right that um, it's a bit of a western cultural problem that we are almost exclusively um, relying on emphasizing our our rational capacities, our rational scientific capacities, and and neglecting or denying the existence of of any other dimension or any other capacity. Um, which is problematic in all sorts of ways. Not only does it deny the creative impulse, uh, the imaginative creative impulse, but also the spiritual. Um, and anything that's sort of not intangible or not provable by the scientific method. Uh, but increasingly, um, secular world is getting more and more interested in the idea that maybe there is something beyond rational individual decision making uh, there's uh, an excellent book, book called Presence written by Peter Senge and a number of other authors and Presence is their description of the point at which a collective, a community a group reaches a point that is beyond the sum of the individuals it, 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 there's that sense that something has emerged uh, from the group 
experience that is not entirely a rational process. Um, and they described it as presence. Um, they are management and leadership writers, and they'd observed that a number of uh, business organizations that were most successful in long-term strategy um, had this ability to to delve into something beyond that individual rationalist approach uh, in their decision-making. So it's certainly central to Quakerism is the idea that when we really listen to each other, uh, when we are gathered uh, as, as um, in the New Testament, when two or more of you are gathered, I'm present, that sense that there is another dimension uh, is fundamental to Quakerism. Um, and our decision-making decision -making process is designed to encourage us to reach that point where the way forward is clear, even though none of the single individuals had a clear view of that coming into it. All right. The modern Western society, while there's some challenges, even in the, the especially the uh, physics establishment to that, has become more secular in many ways. And mainline churches such as Anglican and Methodist uh, attendance has dropped off. They're not so sharply in the evangelical churches. Why do you think this is? And does society still have a need for a spiritual basis or foundation? I think we've been talking about that spiritual basis or foundation. Um, but why has church attendance itself dropped off? I mean, I think there's a number of reasons for that. In part, though, when I think about people my age, like particularly younger, um, younger Quakers and younger non-religious people, with especially younger non-religious people, many of them, in fact most of them, have not left the church. Their parents left the church and they have simply never attended. They've never had that experience of religion. And then when I look at um, young friends and young friends is uh, 16 to 35 um, about half of them have come to Quakers from from non-Quaker backgrounds that they've they've actively sought um, sought Quakers out which I think is is telling about the the need people have for a spiritual basis or um, or foundation and for many young people today it's not that they've walked away from that um, spiritual foundation it just wasn't there um, in the types of communities that they were that they were growing up in okay. yeah I I'm interested in that view actually I what worries me is that I don't and, and talking about my own kids and so on uh, it just strikes me that the whole consumer society but is absolutely totally absorbing, uh, you know, bringing up kids, both working, paying big mortgages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, they simply don't have time to, to reflect on the, the bigger questions. Mind you, I was a bit like that myself when I was um, working as well. Um, but so, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't see uh, much evidence of... Uh, a desire for for a spiritual dimension, but I might be wrong, and and I was interested in your comments. 
I um, I think one of the big problems here is that the traditional churches, and I might say including Quakers, all of us, um, are stuck in a bit of a time warp. We're using language and imagery and narratives um, to describe the spiritual experience, the spiritual reality. Uh, we're using language and so on that, that dates back to a, a, an ancient culture that um, brings all sorts of problems with it. Uh, the patriarchy, for example. The, the, the patriarchy is deeply embedded in our religious language. This image of God uh, as male, obviously, um, just brings that whole old culture into the modern world. And I, I, it just is, a, for me, a, a dreadful misfit. And I, so I'm not surprised that people are uh, rejecting it, particularly as, as a number of Christian um, denominations are, um, you know, turning more and more fundamentalist. I mean, if you look at the backing for uh, Trump in America, that was the evangelical Christian. So, as soon as you talk religion, uh, people have that image of the evangelical Christian in, in their mind, which, which I think is a shame. I think that's not even mainstream Christianity necessarily, but it's certainly very prominent. Well, it's certainly um, not following the teachings of, of Jesus. Indeed, you, yeah, indeed. I mean, if you um, follow the teachings of Jesus, you would want to share and you'd want to be forgiving as, and generous instead of unforgiving. <laughs> I mean, That's right, but but the problem is that um, when we use the same language, that's the Im that's the impression that people immediately gain, and it seems to me that uh, if I was a young person in, in today's world, I would, I would not be in the least bit interested in churches that use um, that sort of language and uh, imagery and um, narrative, which uh, has outlived its. Time. I, I think we need to refresh all that. We need to find new ways of expressing the um, the, the, the spiritual capacity and spiritual realities. Uh, and until we do that, um, and it's a struggle. I mean, you've heard me use the term God. Um, wh what do you use instead? It's a, it's a challenge. I but, think it's uh, God. Yeah. God is too. Our God is too small. It isn't the word God. It's the concept of God is too small. That poem I wrote about the universe was, I think that's more about God than talking about God somewhere in the sky or as a person. We experience and personalize things because we are persons and the personal is very important, but uh, many, many Christians and Buddhists and Jews throughout history, including in the Middle Ages, when they got down to it, they went beyond that narrow interpretation of God. That yeah, narrow indeed. interpretation I, yeah. of spirituality. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to remind ourselves all the time that it is only imagery, it's not the reality. And we need to understand the reality that it's trying to express and find new ways to express it. Well, I'm, um, I'm yeah, interested I in Ashley's Ashley's view of that, though, because it's it's the younger person's view of all this that I think is critical. I was wondering about if I'm right about something, Ashley. I have a feeling that younger radicals, um, for instance, in the um, Extinction Rebellion and the climate movement generally, and are more 
spiritually inclined than than radicals in the 70s and mm-hmm. earlier and even the 80s. Uh, perhaps a less materialistic in their philosophy and more open to spirituality or the need for it. Yeah, I'll answer both the questions. Mari sort of ended on a question as well. And to Mari's question, I think there's an important place for reflecting on the language that we use and whether in the 21st century it is expressing to the listener who may not have a religious background what we are intending it to. But I also think there's a real danger in trying to express all that, like our sense of spirituality and our sense of community using exclusively individualistic and quite consumer-orientated language, which is often what commonly used Western um, words can orientate towards. So I think there's a, there would be a risk in not being able to, to express things well without words like... Um, like God. So I think that there's there's certainly an important place for being really aware of how our communication comes across, but I think we should also be careful that there, there might not be the other words out there and, and being more more open or expressive about what, you know, more spiritual words mean is, is important because people often just aren't aware of spiritual words because they you know don't have much of a spiritual community and then moving into um your question marvin i i really think there is a a desire and a, a sense of need for spirituality within like within younger people i mean part of what you see in like in the climate crisis is the the real damage that happens when humans pretend that they are disconnected from the world around them or when they pretend that they are more important than other creatures or than the earth or the air and the soil. And I think responding to climate change like necessitates a spiritual shift where we can no longer be as individualistic and have to... Re- like recognize our place within the 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 global the universal community and that i think is at its core uh, a spiritual a spiritual process of recognizing that we are part of something much bigger than us and pretending that we weren't a part of it and pretending that we were more powerful than the world around us is, is resulting in real danger not only to humans but also to the rest of of the planet so i think there is this real desire for a spiritual foundation and I don't think that's going to look like what religion has in the past but I still think that that desire and that need is is there where do you think the values of kindness come from historically I mean one of the things I'm aware of is we we've talked about uh, in Quakers and also about the the Treaty of Whiting a lot and not many people are aware for instance the Foreign, uh, the British Foreign Office at that time was controlled by people who had recently uh, done away with slavery. They were the and would tried to um, not only do away with it in England, but I mean in the British uh, countries that the British um, in the Caribbean and so, but all around the world. And these same people were the ones that. Uh, Push the idea that there should be a, a a real treaty between the original inhabitants of the New Zealand and uh, the 
people coming into New Zealand mainly from the British Isles. Now, that may have failed in many respects, but their values came from somewhere. And just as the, the idea that a slave trade and slavery was wrong, and it was evangelical Christians and it was Quakers who, in the beginning, pushed those. No, evangelical Quakers, I mean, evangelical Christians in the um, early 19th century were quite different from evangelical uh, Christians in America now, today. I don't think they know each other. But where do the values come from? One of the philosophers who uh, influenced me adversely was a uh, German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, speaking of the disappearance or death of God, and said that the superman would be free to do absolutely anything he wished. And that was really, he... One of the reasons he despised Judaism and Christianity is that they were slave philosophies because they encouraged people to put other people first and put weak first and that the strong person should be able to be free. Any comments about that? Yeah, I mean, I really feel that those sorts of attitudes have led to the destruction of, of the earth where we must live in relationship with other humans. And I think it's just blindness to pretend that somehow we could exist as though we were the only ones in the universe. And we, we must live in relationship with the rest of, of the earth, with the, like, with the atmosphere, with the, the soil and the water and, and animals, with the different bacteria and viruses that are that exist on this planet we our lives exist in relation to them and i think this desire to pretend that they don't is quite naive but it was also very popular and widespread and we're having to deal with the consequences of those sorts of views at the moment so i don't have an enormous amount of time for this idea that the peak of humanity would be individual power i think that's a really dangerous direction that humans have headed Yeah, it, it, I agree with you, actually. And uh, in answer to your question, the first question, Marvin, about where all this came from, I, I mean, Western culture is based on Christian ideals in, in many respects, um, uh, somewhat contaminated by the church with things like um, the just war theology and various other things. So, uh, But if you go back to the original Christian message and the life of Christ as, as, as depicted in, in the New Testament, which is incidentally what George Fox uh, and the early Quakers uh, maintained, they, they wanted to go back to that primitive Christianity before the church got involved with its creeds and, uh, and um, cons you know, uh, yeah, linking the church and state uh, and so on. Um, so the foundation, those foundational values do, are Christian in the Western world. Um, they, and interestingly, those foundational values, of course, are very similar to the, the values that emerge from uh, other religions. Um, the golden rule and all those sorts of things are, are pretty common across religions. So 
you know, some of those best values, no question, go back to those Christian origins. And it goes back to what I was saying, I believe, that the religious project, the, the, the human project called religion, was all about encouraging humans to follow the better instincts uh, that we all have and and keep the less good instincts um, in control. Um, but as Ashley says, the Western tradition has been incredibly individualistically fo focused and has lost the sense of the, um, the spirit being imminent in all, in all things and that sense uh, of awe and wonder that comes with uh, the idea that God is as much in the rest of creation as it is in humans. That we that human exceptionalism that was introduced by the um, the creation story and various other things is really problematic um, from the point of view of our environmental um, attitudes and so on. Um, I'm not sure that Nietzsche and his Superman uh, um, offers much uh, positive alternative like Ashley. I've got some real worries with it. Well, actually, the reason I brought up Nietzsche is because I dislike him so. I don't have a very, I don't have a very Quakerly attitude toward Nietzsche. I should. But. Well, he had this idea of slave mon uh, morality and master morality, which, yeah. you know, is pretty problematic in all sorts of ways. Yes. Um, it, part of what led to the Holocaust. The, um, I think I'll play another piece of music and then we can go on. That's all right.
Well, we're talking about Quakerism with uh, Murray Short and Ashley Malcolm. McMillan. And you McMillan. can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to do podcast and community or chaos. Well, do Quakers have a future? Do Quakers have a future and do we have the, and can we <coughs> nurture enough spiritual depth and flexibility to become the basis for a 20th first century faith I mean for many people it is the basis of their 21st century faith whether or not it can be a a basis for more people I think Quakers certainly have the spiritual depth I think it's something that when I describe Quakerism to people who have never heard of it before which is really most people that I come across and be that if they're from a religious background or not there's always something that appeals to it um, appeals to them in it something that sounds uh, like the the beauty and the connection of it I think is something that speaks to that that need people have whether or not it has the flexibility I think speaks more to the uh, the slightly more boring but very important parts of Quakerism being its its structures and how oh, it, it governs itself and goes through the the process of putting its its money where its mouth is in many literal senses and metaphorically um, that that side of things is always more difficult um, I think Quakers do a much better job than most churches that I come across at structuring it, um, structuring itself to respond to its 21st century values and needs. But um, I still think there's more that can be done in terms of um, opening that, that process up a bit. Do you think partly because of evangelical Christianity in America and other places that we're a bit embarrassed about outreach and letting us and letting people know about Quakers? Um, I mean, I think certainly the idea of evangelizing really doesn't appeal to any Quaker that I have I have met. But that does, to me, sound different to talking about your spiritual sense and your and your spiritual community. Um, I don't know. I I certainly have noticed well I noticed Quakers about and, and joined Quakers because of that and part of the bit that appealed is that they weren't constantly talking about what they believed and why they were so important but you saw them showing up and doing the things that that they believed were important and of course that had you know they had the Quaker banner at, at the protest at the protests for example you know you could distinguish that it was Quakers but it wasn't the that side of it wasn't so much in your face. It was there, and the, the part that really appeals is people um, living their values and putting that um, and putting that into action. So I think that part is really important. I mean, the other part of it is is that Quakers are not an enormous community in New Zealand, and in many senses, I think they punch well above their weight in terms of the the connections they have with the community, the things that they're able to to achieve, and the profile that they have given there's just not that many um, Quakers around. 
Yeah, for me, it's a, it's a very mixed picture. I think potentially the answer to your question, Marvin, is that uh, we do have the uh, flexibility and uh, to, to, to be relevant to the 21st century. I, I'm very convinced of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we have the spiritual depth, I've got some question marks. And, uh, and Ashley has touched on a point um, in response to your question about being a lot or connected to the evangelical uh, movement. Um, I don't think we articulate our views at all well. And there's quite a common uh, uh, view amongst Quakers that we don't have shared beliefs, that we have a shared way of life and activity, um, but we don't have shared beliefs. Uh, for me, that's simply a reluctance to articulate what they are, because if we have a shared way of life, and we do, mm. and we have shared testimonies uh, that guide our action, political and social and action, uh, then authenticity means that we must have shared beliefs under, underpinning mm. those. It's more a question of ha- how we choose to articulate those beliefs. And that goes back to my earlier point, that we haven't... Uh, refreshed our language and imagery and narratives Uh, and so it's still for me a potential the good thing with Quakerism is that because we don't have a creed we're not bound uh, in that sort of very conservative uh, way and and we can make radical moves as as early Quakers were but I don't see see much radicalism in our approach currently and the underlying reality to all this is that Quakerism is um, aging and diminishing, just like the other churches that you've described. So uh, while we may believe that we have the spiritual depth and flexibility, we're not really demonstrating that publicly and articulating it. The the other point I'd make about spiritual depth is um, (laughs) rather than having no ministers, the Quaker idea is that we're all ministers. And that's easy to say, but if we take it seriously, then we need to be, um, in my view, demonstrating a commitment to the spiritual disciplines much more than we do. Um, you know, reading, reflection, prayer, uh, all of those things um, tend to get crowded out in our very busy lives. Um, just speaking for myself, you know, I, for much of my professional career, I read professional, uh, you know, I had a professional background in social work and then subsequently management. And all my reading was in those areas and I neglected that whole okay. spiritual development uh, of thinking and, and reflecting and um, and sharing. And I think many Quakers are in that position. So without a ministry keeping us <laughs> on, you know, a paid uh, ministry, uh, uh, whose job it is to, to do that full time, as it were, um, the, 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 the risk is that we neglect that spiritual depth, and that is a bit of a worry. We've only got a little less than a minute, so would you, <laughs> Ashley, would you like to say something? Oh, gosh, general closing, closing comments. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Quakers yeah, have the potential to be this sort of spiritual okay, basis. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot, friends. Thank you, Marvin. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.